Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Lang Up podcast. I have a special guest on the show today. You can find him uh, tobaccoroadblues.com, golfdigest.com, pastemagazine.com, and as well, he's a New York Times bestselling author of the book Slaying the Tiger Inside the Ropes. Uh, I don't have the title in front of me. A Year on the PGA Tour, something like that. You've all read the book. Mr. Shane Ryan. Shane, what's going on? Uh, I'm good, Chris. It's so good to be back on the No Laying Up podcast. Thank you. It's been about a year. I think the last time you were on, um, you we were, it was the Patrick Reed story that you broke I think around March last year, if I remember that right. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, let's see. I was, I think I was in Chambers Bay. Yes, I was in Seattle, and you had me on after the book came out too. Uh, I thought, uh, okay, yeah, that makes that makes a lot more sense actually. It's, unless, it's, you, unless you never published that podcast, <laughs> <laughs> it was purely just to uh, get me off your back. There is a chance of that, but you have your own podcast now called the Friends of Tiger Podcast, and. For all of our loyal listeners, I would strongly, strongly suggest that. I don't think I've missed a single episode of it, and I strongly, I, I definitely enjoy it. Uh, you've been a harder, to, not a harder to reach guy, but you, I've, I've heard all of your takes, so it's harder to get you on a podcast and uh, and really debate anything with you when I've when I've heard what you had to say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you know, I think we've got something today, though, right? I, I think, think we uh, do. I think we do. It's so it's so rare. I mean, I think you know, there's there's been cases of it before, but for those of us who are sort of friendly with each other. It's very rare that we disagree on much, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it's it's nice to, uh, I feel like I'm always having people on and everyone, we're always agreeing with each other and it doesn't make for a very good discussion. <laughs> so I hope I think this will be a good discussion. Um, we, uh, the, the topic at hand is what happened this past weekend. We're recording this on Tuesday, uh, February 9th. This was two days after the Waste Management Phoenix Open where Ricky Fowler had a two-shot lead going into the 71st hole, uh, proceeded to take driver off that tee, hit the ball in the water, make bogey, and end up losing in a playoff to Hideki Matsuyama. I did listen to your aforementioned podcast where you talked about this with Alex Myers, and I would, again, highly suggest people listen to that. I thought it was a very good discussion, fair discussion, fair points. Um, I, I think there, there, can still, there can be two sides to this. I wrote a piece for SBNation.com that you referenced that I, I strongly defended his club choice as, uh, as an understandable uh, decision in the, the heat of the battle and considering all the factors from, from within, within the grounds, within the ropes that are going on between a player's head and their conversation with the caddy and all of their considerations. Uh, I, I didn't fault him for it. Uh, you had a differing opinion on that, though. I did, yeah. And let me say first, after watching you know a lot of presidential debates, I just want to take the high ground here and say, Chris, I respect you. Uh, I think you're good for the game, and I just happen to think you're dead wrong on this one. <laughs> but it doesn't affect what I think of you as a person or as a friend, and I just want to congratulate you on all the success you've had. No, uh, all right, let's get at it. Let's, too, too nice. This has been too nice. <laughs> but look, but look, I do think you're wrong. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I think it comes down to a few things. I think if you're going to make the argument that okay, he's in the heat of the battle and he's and he's striping his driver and he's hitting it really well, and your argument is that maybe the best thing mentally is not to consider the uh, position you're in in terms of the larger tournament and just to play 
just to play as you would any other time. And, and so that kind of keeps you in a mental headspace of not letting the pressure or the situation get to you. Okay, then fine. You could argue, yeah, play driver there if that's what you'd normally play. However, I am of the mindset that in that situation, it actually benefits you to consider where you are to have a sense of what your lead is and who's chasing you. And I think when you're up two shots uh, with two holes to play, what you want to do there, in my opinion, is avoid the huge mistake. And I think the only two clubs that could have ended in the water are the three-wood and the driver. And, uh, you know, we talk about he got unlucky, he hit a good driver shot, but if he had pulled that left, it would have been wet the whole way. And obviously, as we saw it, when he hits it straight, there's also a chance that it goes into the water. I think, uh, you know... You pointed out, I believe, in your article that Hideki Matsuyama made two birdies, and so technically Ricky Fowler needed to play one under uh, over the last two holes to win that tournament outright without going into a playoff. But I think the pressure you put on your opponent when you have a lead um, and make them chase you uh, actually probably would have produced a different outcome there or at least would have added a certain amount of psychological pressure to Matsuyama. So my position is he should have taken the iron off the tee, um, which I, I still think gives him a pretty good chance for par because it's not a long – or sorry, for birdie uh, because it's not a long hole. And, you know, uh, barring some kind of disaster off the tee with the iron – Par is the worst score he's going to make, and what he does there is he guarantees himself at least a one-shot lead going into 18, and I think that advantage is huge. I think what we see a lot of times with the great players is when they uh, get a lead, and of course Tiger Woods is famous for this, they make people chase them. They don't do the stupid thing that, uh, that ends up bringing them back to the field. All fair. It's uh, I, I can't really specifically argue with uh, the case can obviously be made. I mean, look what, what the choice he made ended up not working out for him. So I think it's very easy to look back at what happened and say that he pl- played it wrong. Um, I think I tried to make the point in it, and I don't. I did not disagree with what you said to Alex about the hindsight. I don't think you need hindsight to have right. your take. I agree with you on that. I'm fine with that. Um, you can you can you can flat out say I thought before he hit it. Uh, he should have hit iron off the tee, and I will say I talked to I talked to two two tour pros about this exact moment. One agreed with me, and another one said he was screaming at the TV when he pulled driver. So it's 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 a it is kind of a dividing issue, and it's not like I think I'm dead right and you're dead wrong on it. But to me, it probably didn't even seriously cross his mind to even hit iron off that tee for better or for worse. I think I I just think the way that hole is played. No one really plays it that way. And the point I was making about hitting iron is if you hit an iron off that, off that tee, the, first of all, the fairway is only 22 yards wide in between those two bunkers. I think he hits it in between those. I, I'm not arguing that. But you are bringing in the risk that you could hit, pull an iron or push an iron into, the, into those bunkers. And you're hitting a, a full shot at that point to a green that's still surrounded by water. Yes, he could have played to the middle of the green, easily made his par. My overall, I guess, a point that I don't think I emphasized enough, and I wrote like a thousand words on it, and I was I was talking to Porath about when I was writing it. He's like, "Yeah, probably five hundred words is good." And I wrote a thousand. <laughs> it was probably too much, but I, I kept having these these all these points I wanted to make, and one I don't don't think I made enough was a two shot lead with two holes to play. It's not that big of a lead, especially when you look at the two holes that were remaining. And I, I don't want to point to the two birdies that Matsuyama made because it kind of goes against my hindsight argument, but he had to know that was a possibility that he was going to get run down if he just starts playing for par. And when you start limiting yourself to just playing for par, you're taking the control out of your own hands, which he thought he was capable of doing, and he executed. He executed the shot, got the bad break, 
And I just don't think you can legitimately think that 360, that, that yardage comes into play to get in the water. I agree that taking three-wood or a driver there obviously brings the water in the left into play. But you can't – the risk of him hitting it, there's an 11-yard gap in between that back bunker and the water on the left. That, that, that was the, the risk he was running by hitting driver, that it would go in that 11-yard gap and go into the water. If it goes any further right, it goes in that bunker. If it goes right of the bunker, there's more rough over there, and I think grandstands even to stop it. So I think that the chance that that ball would ricochet and go down through that, through that little chute that it did is so small that he couldn't have even really pictured that as an option happening. Well, first of all, let me say that you wrote too many words. As you know, I'm someone who likes to keep things very short. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in length uh, writing. No, uh, your, your article was great. I really enjoyed reading. You've got a great style, even when you you know you're really missing the missing the mark as you were in this article. Uh, no, you know, again, here's the thing. You, you say that, but. I think it's on the golfer and his caddy to understand that this could be a possibility. And you say, you know, right, there's only a, maybe a small chance that he hits this down slope uh, and, the, and the ball rolls into the water. However, there's a big chance that you pull a driver and it goes into the water. Uh, there, there's just several outcomes that are really, really bad. Um, and your point, I think, is a good one in that there's always that uh, – that area. As a Duke basketball fan, I've seen so many. I feel like I've seen so many games where Duke gets a big lead, and then Coach K has this impulse always to go into a stall offense. And if you do that too early, which I've seen happen, it really takes you out of your game, and it lets the other team come back, and it has a way of shifting the momentum. So I agree with you that there are time. You have to know the situation. Uh, but I think two up with two to play. I think you're past that point where it's too early to play defensive. I think on a difficult, a strange little hole like number like number seventeen. You need to say, okay, what is the bigger risk here? Yes, you can go in the bunker, uh, but that's not death. You know, I mean, unless you plug or something really, really unfortunate happens, that's not death. You still easily get to the green from there, right? Because it's not a long hole. Um, playing the approach shot—that's not an argument that convinces me because a hundred-yard wedge shot once you're in the fairway is, you know, for these guys and for the way Ricky Fowler was playing, that's almost automatic. Um, so for me, it's like avoid the water. It's really that simple. Don't do anything that's going to lead to a situation where you are tied uh, or worse going into the 18th hole. And par has to be the, the worst score you're going to make there. And then on 18, it forces you know it forces your opponent to play an incredible hole and really to force the action, um, whereas you know the fact that they went in tied didn't do that. So you know that's the essence of my argument, to boil it down, is don't leave yourself up to the big mistake. I, I, I really think he made a mistake doing that. Um, you know, I think you pointed out that there's a lot of decisions to make, and it's the heat of the battle, and everything like that. But I, I think you know, I go back to last year, or sorry, 2014 at Doral. Uh, Patrick Reed had a two-shot lead going into the final hole, and you know, it's another very difficult hole. And he just played an iron, and he, he basically he played for bogey, and he did it, and he won the tournament. I think guys who are really concerned with winning and who are good at winning uh, sort of do take that more cautious mindset at the right time. But I think I think what what you just said though almost helps helps my point in that Reed knew exactly what he needed to do to win, right? So he knew he needed five. There were no other players, if I remember right, left on the course to have to account for. So uh, can I can, let me ask you this: seventeenth, same situation, seventeenth tee up by one, playing with Matsuyama. What club does he pull? Only a one shot lead instead of two. What what should he do? 
That's interesting. It, well, it's a different situation, isn't it? Because yep. you don't have that comfortable cushion where you, you can make pars and probably win or force the guy to make two birdies and beat you. So up by one, I still say you probably play to win there. Um, and, and you probably take whatever you know driver or three-wood or whatever he feels is best at that moment. Okay. Um, so another thing that factored into my analysis that I didn't I didn't directly quote him or even refer to this in the uh, in the post because I can't personally attest to it, but I was texting exchanging messages with Shane Bacon uh, before I wrote it, and he said, "It's like am I crazy to think that Iron wasn't even considered there?" And he said he he told me he's like I've played the course thirty times, and he said, and this may be hyperbole, but he said seventeen is the toughest layup in golf off the tee. I I don't know why. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is a guy that's played the course. Ricky's obviously a guy that's played the course. It probably like wasn't even a consideration for him. Whether or not that's at fault of his, of his is, is, I guess it can be debated. But I'm just of the belief that a two-shot lead isn't – it's not a three-shot lead with one hole to play. It's not like a Vandeveld. It's not like uh, Kyle Stanley at, at um, Torrey Pines in 2012. I'm breaking my own heart bringing this back up. But he was uh, – For those who aren't familiar with it, it was four years ago when he had a three-shot lead on the 18th hole at Torrey Pines, and he had maybe 250 in uh, with his for his second shot. Uh, It's a par five over water, and he laid it up in front of the water, and then proceeded to hit his third, which is rather routine shot, overspun it into the water, made triple bogey, and lost the tournament. So, honestly, I I think the same. This may be exaggerating a little bit, but he runs the same risk of hitting wedge from the middle of the fairway and it hitting the pin and going in the water as it did hitting that downslope and running 80-plus yards running into the water. I think it was just such a fluke event that if the, if the opposite happened, if he laid it up and then made bogey from that, he'd be getting killed. And if he laid it up, made par, and Matsuyama ran him down with two birdies, I think he'd also be getting killed for it. So I think that he was very confident that he could pull off the shot. He eased up on the driver. It made it come out lower, and it had this bounce that he could not have foreseen. Um, but I, I think that he was he, he, he knew what he needed to do, and he, there's, the fairway is 50 yards wide at that point. I think he knew he wasn't going to miss left. He had room right, and it just happened to hit a perfect shot. It was way too good. I think uh, let's forget the downslope for a second. I think the chances of when you take out driver on the tee, the chances of ending up in the water are far, far higher than they would be from a wedge shot from 100 yards hitting the pin and or hitting the hole and, and careening into the water. Correct, yes. Um, I, so to, I, to clarify, I meant running all the way through in that 11-yard gap behind the, the water. But that's not the only risk. That, what I'm saying is that's not the only risk of the driver. However, I, I do agree with you. I don't think you should kill Ricky Fowler. It's not like a huge choke or anything. Uh, it's you know It was still a tight-ish tournament. He should have won. And I, I do think he made a mistake, but it, again, it's not like Vandeveld. Uh, if anything, I think maybe this is the kind of thing, uh, you know, when I talk to a lot of tour players in, in 2014, a lot of them had moments like this where, especially the guys that are good winners, in situations of pressure, they tend to become more aggressive uh, because they don't want to play tentative and they don't want to lose by being cautious like maybe they've seen some guys do um, over the course of having watch golf. And so they get really aggressive. And at some point in their careers, that costs them a tournament, whether it's on the PGA Tour or web.com or wherever, and they learn from that. And they go on and they say, okay, next time we get in this situation, uh, we're going to think a little more strategically. And if necessary, we're going to play cautious if that's the right move at the right time. Yep. Um, I, I, I just I don't think uh, – I, I know it's risky, and I, this, this doesn't uh, – 
I really have a hard time supporting this argument I'm about to make because he hit in the water twice and made bogey both times. But I also think in his head, he's thinking, if all right, the only chance I have of hitting this driver in the water is left. And if, if you go in that water left, you have a relatively easy pitch shot onto the green and can make par from there. He did that in the playoff, hit three wood in that water, did not get up and down from that spot. But I'm thinking that probably went into his conclusion, his thinking as well, is that even if I, if I think there's maybe a 15% chance I'm going to hit this ball in the water, I can still make par from that. If you, right, right. It, it, and and I, I understand that players are, you know, a 100-yard wedge shot to a tour pro is nothing. But you look back at the, the first round, in the, uh, the first time they played the 18th hole in the playoff, he had 110 yards in, missed the green short, was, easily got up and down, but he missed the green with the wedge. Like, they do miss greens with wedges. If that wedge shot hits too hard on the green and runs through to that, the, he, from the angle he'd be coming at, there's water behind the pin. It's it's just there's a there's a lot of variables that had to go into that thinking, and his thinking is probably get it as close he can to the green as possible. And I, I he's probably still thought he may have needed a birdie too. So let me let me put it this way to you, uh, and, and not saying this proves my argument, but what do you think the average score is with Ricky Fowler pulling driver on that hole versus Ricky Fowler pulling iron? Um, if he were to play it like ten, like right now, or like look, uh, looking back at his past, the, I think the answer to that is going to be he probably hits driver a lot there. I don't know the club choice exactly, but his history on that hole is not good. So looking right. back, I think that that that's a fair question. If if they were to play it ten times right now, I think he without a doubt would average lower score with the driver than he would an iron off that tee. But in tournament play, he's he's had t- trouble on that hole, right? I mean, Correct. he's got yeah. he's got a history, and it's a high pressure situation. I I, I just think. Again, I just think it's the percentage play there. And, and this is a time when you make the percentage play, where you're not trying to play for eagle or anything like that. Just make the percentage play. And, you know, it's not the only thing that costs him. He, if he made that put on 16, yep. you know, th- that's probably the tournament right there. It's almost definitely the tournament right there. And then I think we may have seen the iron. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, we're kind of going back and forth in circles yep. a little bit at this point. But I agree. There's, there's arguments for both. I don't say I'm 100% right, but I do, you know, I just – Considering all the evidence, I do think he, he sort of made a mistake. Yep. No, it's, it's fair to say. I guess if I were to round up my thesis, it would be he knew how well he was playing. He led the field in strokes gained uh, tee to green for the whole day, even including this water ball, which was a huge error. or The result ended up being a huge error that he was in control of the moment. He wanted to stay in control of it, and he executed it, and he got a bad break. So I, I, I just don't uh, – with all the – Considering the distance with it involved in this shot, to have chosen the wrong club based on distance, right? So you can make the argument that he could have hit driver and pulled it left into the water, blah blah blah. But it ended up being a bad call because of the distance of the club, and it wasn't it wasn't that he took on an unnecessary risk with the water. The, the result, at least, you could say, um, to have that happen on a hole of that length is very understandable. I mean, players miss club when they're from a hundred yards out sometimes. So. Um, I think that he was just very in control of his game, knew he could execute the shot, and did it and got unlucky. So that, 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 that I guess, would be my thesis. But I wanted to say is uh, his caddy actually sent – I woke up to this message from him overnight that the, uh, Joe Scovron, I believe is how you pronounce his caddy's name, uh, said – he read my article and said, great analysis here. You'll na- you nailed everything we were considering and what we were trying to do. And uh, some people were actually chirping at him on Twitter – um, that somebody said, somebody's Ian Taylor says to him, the tee shot on 17 was unlucky, but two shot lead should have taken water out of play with iron off the tee. Hashtag hindsight. Joe replied and said, went through the process and made our call. Didn't work out. Needed three shot lead to consider laying up. 
So they had at least had that thought in mind, and that. Oh, so, so that's true. That if he had made that putt, they would have considered. Yeah. Uh, if they had made the putt on sixteen, well, yeah, I, I will say that's funny because I was just going to ask you if you put any blame on the caddy. What I would say to that is, uh, of course, he would say that to you <laughs> that you nailed it. Of course, because yeah. because, because that it essentially takes the blame off, and by saying it was the right choice, and I'm not saying look, Ricky Fowler hit a great shot, but. Is it not incumbent on on him at some point, and I, maybe he did say this, but to say, look, here's here's what could happen. <laughs> Here, I know this course. I'm a caddy. It's my job to know this course. There's a there's a spot of downhill slope here where you can hit it because I know you and I know how far you hit a driver and I know the trajectory at which you hit the driver. Where if you hit this this spot, it's going to skip ahead and it could go in the water. Right. I mean, should, shouldn't he have called that? Yeah. Um... In theory, I think I just I I when I don't I'm not a PGA Tour player, but when I'm playing golf, I don't look at a mound 80 yards in front of water and think that if I hit it on the downslope of this mound, it's going to go in the water. I I, I don't know how big that and mound that's is. That's why you never made it, Chris. <laughs> that is the one thing that has held me back. <laughs> that's it. I don't know how big that mound is, but and maybe my physics of it aren't as good either. But I'm thinking with as low as he hit it. With the lower trajectory, he had an even smaller chance of it hitting that mound. Granted, the the combination of the low trajectory with that mound made it spring forward that 80 yards. But again, it's just a combination of events that you can't possibly foresee happening. I I put zero blame. These guys know these courses, but you can't you can't possibly know that that is even an option. That, that thought probably not, never floated in their mind. What I think I think Greller would have camped out on that mound <laughs> at some point on Tuesday night. Bones would Bones would have been. Grell, I am such a Greller fan. I think he's the great. I really enjoy listening to he and Steve talk. And I do. I mean, I know this is just complete speculation and totally unfounded, but I feel like he would have known. I feel like I feel like Greller would have known that, and Spieth probably would have too. And they would have spent like five minutes talking about it beforehand. Bones would have been tending the pen up there. That would have been the best part. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, what I will say is uh, one thing that it, that really hurts is uh, I, I I forget where I heard this uh, said, but. Uh, could have been rumor or something I read on Twitter. In that I don't really remember this because they, they did they did you could hear a lot of the conversation, but maybe I need to replay the conversation. But uh, Scovron was actually the one that talked Ricky into hitting driver, and Ricky wanted to hit three wood. So uh, oh, that's that's interesting because yeah. if you hit three wood into that exact same spot, uh, it's not going in the water because correct. it's gonna, it's going to be a, a higher trajectory. Correct. Correct. However, the last thing I'll say about uh, hindsight on this is that um, not I don't not to pull a gotcha move on this, but it's it's more to my overall point in that now basically I hit three wood in the water, hit driver in the water. Now the 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 consensus move is he should hit iron off the tee. Whereas if he doesn't hit three wood in the water, there if he hits three wood on the green the second time through. People, I'm not saying you would say this, but I'm saying people will probably be saying, look, he should have hit three wood. That's all he need to do is hit three wood right in the middle of the green. When, right, when right, really right, right. we can look back in hindsight and say both driver and three wood ended up being the wrong call. And with the first thing, before he even hit three wood in the water, you, I, I made the point, I said on Twitter, I was like, uh, I said, players make critical club choices about 40 times around. If you want to get on Ricky for hitting a driver there at the risk of going 360, go ahead. And you said to me, except literally every other club would not have gone in the water. And it's like, well, now we know the three wood would have gone. Well, except the, water. the three wood, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. now we do, but at the time you didn't <laughs> yeah. know that. So it's, it's. Uh, I know you probably are looking back that you'd say, well, I meant I would now. I would say three iron, an iron, but 
now we have we have all this information to say we know these two options didn't work out. It should have been this third one, which in the, in the moment we don't. Well, I, I think I think what I meant essentially is that I think what I meant to defend myself there <laughs> is that a three would would not have gone in the water to the rear of the green. Correct. Uh, but of course, it could have gone to the left of the green. Yeah, I mean, my point goes back to the same thing. If if, if the three iron was long enough to go in the water, I'd say don't use the three iron. You know what I mean? It's right. use any club. Any, use any club that won't go in the water. Gotcha. A hundred percent. Now, obviously, I think in the playoff you. It's a different story. I'm not saying he should have used the iron on the on the playoff hole when he got there. Uh, at that point, you have to play for birdie, um, and the three woods is a fine choice. It's just he hit a bad shot. Whatever. What are you going to do? Yep. All right. I'm ready. That's 25 minutes of that. I'm ready to move on from this. I win, you lose. We'll just slide right, slide right on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're right. That's my, that's my Bernie Sanders voice. No, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, robust discussion. I'm glad we had it. It is. It's fair. The gloves. Uh, I, I took a couple bruises. I mean, I, I think I'll be all right. But uh, and no. I think no matter what, Chris, I think you know, you and I disagree on some small points. But I think together on this stage, we're much better than Kyle Porter <laughs> at CBS. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's another debate move. Uh, obviously, that's not personal, Kyle. <laughs> I did. I did. I was a little upset at the latest Friends of Tiger. I think it took twelve minutes before I was mentioned in this last last go around in the podcast. You really? It's so funny. I mean, it's. I think at some point, if you ever weren't mentioned, I'd mention you in the end, in the conclusion. I'm just like, yeah, I just want to say hi to Chris Solomon, but it's never gotten there. You always come up. Uh, you are. You are the dominant force in the golf narrative at this point, I think. Uh, all right, moving past the club choice, what? and I don't want to get – I have a couple more things I want to touch on on Fowler um, just in general because I, I feel like I've spent the majority of my year so far talking about him, which is fine by me because uh, I've been talking about him for a, for a long time and that I – don't, I don't know if I saw him becoming this good that he's become, but I definitely thought the rep of you know being all style, no substance was not very fair, but – what did you? I, I, I'm surprised it's not been made more of a big deal this week. I'm not saying it is a big deal, but I mean you touched on it with Alex. But what did you think of the emotional rea- his like emotional reaction after after the waste management? Yeah, I really liked it. You know, I really like um, when guys show that sort of passion about winning and losing a tournament. Now, I think I think what choked him up was not the fact of losing necessarily as much as it was that he wanted to win for his his dad and his grandfather, who have never seen him um, win in person, but. I, I don't know. I just like the sense, you, you know, obviously you don't need someone crying to show that it means a lot to them, but it just, it retroactively raises the stakes in a way that makes me more excited about golf, if that makes sense. Yep. No, it's it's like, it's like, this is what these guys are feeling out there. This is what could happen to them. Um, I had the same feeling and I'm not like the biggest Hunter Mayhan fan, but the, the old clip of him crying after the Ryder Cup, it just, it makes you like him and it makes you it just makes golf feel so dramatic and so important. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It does. It, it, it enhances my enjoyment when there are these emotional reactions. And I already like Ricky Fowler anyway. I, you know, he was one of my favorite people to talk to, and I think he's a pretty decent guy, uh, as far as I know. Um, and so it's cool. It's just you know, it just is one of those things that makes you root for him. And I think it's a clip that if he happens to win a major this year, you'll they'll play that clip, and it'll yeah. be a nice little you know story arc. Like here's. Here's how much this guy cares, and here's where he came from, and, and here's what he's doing now. Yeah, I think I forget if it was you or uh, Alex Myers that made the point, um, and now I'm forgetting it. What the actual point was? Oh, the comparison was him to Jason Day about a year ago. Um, in that we don't look, we, we look at Jason Day probably differently than we currently do now that he's won a major. And what oh, yeah. what, what we're seeing from Ricky now, a year from now, are we going to be looking at him? Like we look at maybe look at Jason Day now. So my question for you, 
If you're taking over under 1.5 wins this season on the PGA Tour for Ricky, what are you taking? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I'll take the over on that for yeah. sure. I mean, he's playing so well. Yeah. I, I think I think you have to take the over. Um, I'd be interested. What if What if I asked you uh, a major win this year at 0. Oh, 0.5 over God. under? Why? Like you're taking the the question. I, I wrote down like five questions, and you're taking them <laughs> right off my damn spreadsheet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I made four major picks before the season, and I, I stick with them. I I, uh, so I did not pick him to win a major this year, yeah. but it's the, in the least hot take you'll ever hear, I would not be surprised to see him win a major this year. <laughs> I, I honestly, wow, I, I just wow, put, I know, wow. I know, I know. Um, I actually just put down um, a, a bet on him at 25 to 1 to win the Masters before the, before the odds lowered, because I think that's absurd. I mean, I think... Um, Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, that's a great bet. I mean, the guy is playing the best golf probably uh, of any American except maybe Spieth right now. Yeah, and we want to talk – and I've even made the point the distance, at least in the world rankings, between 1, 2, and 3 and Ricky is huge. But the ability is not. The, the resume is not quite there yet, obviously, with Ricky compared to those other guys. But uh, his ability uh, – that, I think that's a different thing from being odds on uh, – consider it going into a tournament does that make sense oh yeah totally it does and you know another thing with him is where is this driving coming from all of a sudden i mean is this well maybe maybe it's not new maybe it's not new but i was just some of his distances at phoenix i was like oh my god i mean once you can do that you're essentially you know on, on a level with rory and jason day yeah i don't they talked about this in the broadcast too i actually thought they were pretty spot on about it because i think you can tend to just look at what you're seeing currently and think oh my god ricky Fowler's a top 10 g- guy on tour there's a lot of problems with driving distance stat that the PGA Tour keeps, especially at this point in the season. It's probably measuring somewhere between, I don't know, maybe five or six drives of Fowler's. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. something like 58th on tour in driving distance. Like, it's not, it's not, uh, he's not this crazy bomber that he, that he showed he was, though, in Phoenix. I, uh, he's the only he only one that hit it over that green. He was the long drive guy on, on several holes out there. So they brought up the question, like, does he just is he this guy that just has this extra gear? And I, I, I usually try to stay away from a cliche like that, but I almost think that might be the case. Yeah, I know, and it's it, it's so interesting too because I mean, if he can do that consistently, it changes things completely, doesn't it? I mean, it's 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 a little bit out of nowhere. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what to think about it right now. But if he can, I mean, yeah, he's easily one of the five best. Well, he's already one of the five best players in the world, but he. To me, I, I consider him on that upper echelon if he can do that consistently. But what makes him so interesting to me, and a lot of people give Butch Harmon credit for uh, his rebound, which definitely does deserve credit. But And again, we're looking at, it's February, so looking at the season, the year-to-date uh, stats for the year don't mean that much. But he's third in strokes, ga- I'm sorry, sixth in strokes gained putting so far this year on tour. He's gaining almost a shot per round on the field, and he's third in strokes gained total. So it's it's... It's a lot. He's very well rounded in the same way that Spieth is, and I know you and Alex talked about this too. Saying Spieth doesn't get enough credit for how good his long game is, but I also don't think uh, Ricky gets enough credit for how good his putting is. Yeah, totally true. Totally true. Let me ask you a quick question um, about driving distance. So the PGA Tour's official stats uh, measure they they basically have like one or two holes um, in every tournament where they measure a drive from there. Is that right? Yep. And now, but isn't there also a stat that that takes every single drive uh, based on um, shot link? Based on shot link, yeah. 
is, is, is there something like that? And wouldn't that be more accurate? Why are they sticking with this old system? To be honest, I'm not even sure what they – I know that that is how they used to measure drives. Um, and if you pull up – so I'm on his pay, PGA Tour page right now. It says total drives measured 28. Uh, yeah. I think the reason for that is they picked two holes that they are pretty sure that somebody is going to hit driver on. So that if you're factoring everyone's drive, then you got to factor in club choice. You know, like somebody's hitting three wood or hitting iron off the 17th tee. Like how I looped that back in there. Sure, um, right, right, right. <laughs> so yeah. I think they, but at the same time, from week to week, those holes could be playing into the wind, downwind, downhill. It's just not a very good measurement. It's not, it's, you can't point to number one and say that he's definitely longer than number five off the tee, I don't think. Yeah, now there's another stat called driving distance all drives, where Bubba Watson right now is leading, and they've measured 116 drives already in 2016. Uh, and so, but I don't know, I don't know, like you said, it might be that they don't sort for when you actually use driver. You would think they would. That would be a dumb stat otherwise. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think that, I don't know, I just think more data, even though, even though obviously you have holes that are downwind, upwind, or weird days, or whatever, I think if you get like 300 drives or 500 by the end of the year of data, that's going to be way more accurate than than the PGA Tour system. Yeah, I I would have to think so. I just don't, I it's don't getting know. in the it's getting in the weeds. I was yeah, just something I was something I was curious about. No, I I, I liked your guys talk about stats because I, I don't I don't talk about probably enough on this podcast or or when I write because um, I, I'm very I like using stats. I'm not very I guess proficient from a statistics standpoint, so I don't really like talking about it because I. Don't necess- I don't necessarily know what I'm saying when I use the stats. Is what my point is. Um, and you, that didn't you, stop you. That didn't stop you with the Phoenix Open stuff. Well, that's true. I, I, I'm not saying <laughs> I, 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 that wasn't that stat based. From my from I could have I could have said uh, I did look up some. There's a great Twitter account I follow. It's a PGA Win Probability or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah, and uh, it actually had Fowler at 91 percent to win the tournament, standing on that 17th tee, which I thought. Wow. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, um, but uh, no. But you mentioned asking like, where are the good stat writers? And I wanted to mention. I, I've mentioned. I've tweeted links to him as well. But uh, you should be aware of uh, Jake Nichols. Um, he he has his own website, and he also writes now some for Golf dot com. Uh, he actually wrote an article for NoLangUp.com last year, which begged the quest. The question was, why doesn't Ricky Fowler win more? And he made uh, he made great points in saying, "Look, this is Ricky plays his best golf in the biggest events, and he's just been edged out by some of the top talent in the world several times along the way. If he right. continues playing this way, he's going to be racking up the wins." A year later, that prediction, although a very safe prediction, uh, was, it looks very good. But he backed it up from a statistical standpoint. So, if you're looking for somebody who's a cool. great yeah, yeah, yeah. great writer from a stat standpoint uh at Jal Nichols J A L Nichols is his uh Twitter account um and it, it, I I don't know if you feel the same way whenever you share a um I get share something or post something and somebody that you follow or really respect in the industry shares it you feel like you did something right uh, he's like the smartest, from a statistical standpoint, guy that I, I know of in golf, and he shared my SB Nation article yesterday. So, boom, I win again. You lose. But, but <laughs> does he have a does he have a retweets don't equal endorsements thing on his Twitter? Oh, I should look that up. I should look that up. <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got. He does not. So he was probably endorsing you. Uh, yeah, no. I actually, and the funny thing is, I remember I, now that you mentioned, I remember that Ricky Fowler article, and it was very, very good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. So, yeah, that's cool. And I'm already following him on Twitter. So I had an answer in front of me, just didn't know it. Boom. 
All right, I think this next one is a pretty uh, easy one for the two of us, considering I think we definitely fall on the same side of this. But uh, what did you think of Phoenix's treatment of one Sir Jerry Lester Watson Jr. during the Phoenix Open this week? <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing. I, I, I had a pretty busy weekend, and you'll have to fill me in, because I, I, I didn't exactly <laughs> see it. I, I know what happened before the tournament, obviously, but I didn't see exactly what happened on 16. Oh, did my they, God. Did they razz him? Oh, my God, dude. So I, when, when that happened, um, when his comments came out, I was, I was all over it, as you, as you might imagine, beating it to death, doing, doing my yes, thing. Yes. Doing my it. thing. I started the hashtag Boo Bubba on 16. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to claim responsibility for it, but uh, 16 was – it was kind of a house divided on, um, on, on Thursday. Um, but there was some definitely some strong boos when he when he stood up, and then on Friday, uh, I'm hoping I, I want to make sure I get the days right here. Maybe Friday was the bad one. Friday afternoon crowd, I think was the um, was the bad one. I don't know. I think it was Saturday. Anyways, I don't know because the PGA Tour took my vines down that I took of it. But anyways, uh, he, uh, why, why he, do he missed a short putt. Everyone goes nuts booing him. Uh, he taps it in, waves, and then just as clear as day, somebody yells in there like, Bubba, you effing loser! Like, just <laughs> perfectly clear. And then somebody right behind him goes, oh, are you going to cry? And like, oh my god. Like, uh, and the, the reports I got from inside the arena were like, that it was like, it was way worse than even was on TV. Like, he absolutely got roasted, almost to the point where I felt bad. Almost, but not quite. Wow, that's gonna say that takes a lot to invoke your sympathy for him. Uh, one thing I'll say is that you know a lot of people made a point, which with any other player would be a good point, is yep. that when he when he was talking about the course changes and how he didn't like them and yep. whatever, they're like, oh, but don't you want you you want transparency and honesty from the players? It's like, yeah, but when Bubba Watson does it, I just get the feeling that he is whining somehow, yep. that he's that he's not being legitimate, that he doesn't like sixteen, that he's pissed off that he finished second here a couple times. And that he's really just being his normal babyish self. Now, if Jordan Spieth had got out there and said, look, I think some of these architectural changes aren't good for the tournament. Uh, I don't know why they did it, and here's why. Yeah, it would be awesome, and we'd love to hear that perspective from a player. But yeah. I just don't trust Bubba that he's not just being a little baby, you know? I totally agree. I think his explanation for it on... Like I'm, I'm, I've confused my days of the week at this point, but he backtracked on it a little bit, said he apologized, didn't get his message out better. Uh, I don't, I, you know me, I'm, I'm as hard as anyone on Bubba. I actually, what he said made a lot more sense and that he explained himself a lot better. I think that was also a little bit of agency and PR driven. Um, but I, I'm actually in agreement with him on the changes to the course. I think it has made it less fun. Um, I don't agree that it's like it targets bombers. Uh, to whine about that, honestly, on the, on the PGA Tour, Bubba, it is just, that's ridiculous considering yeah, yeah. how beneficial it is to be a bomber on the tour. Um, but you just can't stand up there and say, I'm only here because of my sponsors. Because guess what the last thing you, your sponsors want you to say when you get up there is? That they're making you be there. Like, it's exactly. implied. Exactly. We, under, we know that. We're not idiots. Like, we, we know that you have obligations to play certain tournaments. Like, every, everyone knows that. Don't get up there and say it. That does make you a whiny little bitch. That's, that, that's accurate. Like, like uh, yeah, it, it's frustrating. It's true. It's, it's true. And he's, it's, and he hides behind everything. Hide, hiding behind, oh, my hero, because my, yeah, right, exactly. They don't want you to say that. I mean, it's, it's just another, like, when he, you know, the last time he had an explosion, he cites religion. It's the same thing. There's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else to put the blame on. 
I, I can't take him. I really can't yeah. take him. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think the tie. I think you and I talked about this way back in like 2014. The first time we did a podcast it was after the PGA Championship, I think, and that we felt the tide was actually turning on Bubba. Um, and from being this happy-go-lucky and really uh, popular guy to he's still he's still got a ton of fans. He's always going to have a ton of fans. Um, but uh, it, it, it it's it feels like he has more haters than fans at this point. I know that's not accurate, but it start the 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 minority is very vocal now. Yeah, and I think especially in online, I think especially on Twitter uh, and probably journalists who write about golf, it's the, the tide is starting to turn and. I would say let's pat each other on the back. I think we've played at least some small role in oh, that happening, Chris. Absolutely, I'm two hands patting myself on the back for this. But uh, yeah. and I'll say is, I mean, yeah, he's got a lot of fans. But know who else had a lot of fans? Adolf Hitler, circa, circa 1933 in Nazi Germany. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I think that is the perfect comparison. <laughs> um, I tried to get this. I couldn't. I couldn't land this tweet or have it fit into 140. Um, he was paired with Brooks Kepka and Justin Thomas for uh, the first two rounds, and I wanted to tweet something like, uh, "I feel like I'm watching the Yalta Conference with Churchill and uh, and and Roosevelt needing somebody to stand up to Stalin," but I, I couldn't land it. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. Yeah. Oh my god, that's funny. It's. I think I've, if you start a new uh, like Twitter thing where you compare Bubba to Hitler, I, I'm fully. I'll retweet every single thing you do. Oh, I have before. I think uh, who was oh, it? Really? When Spieth, um, it was the Hero World Challenge this year. Paul Casey was uh, close to. Um, oh, you'll like this story. He was close to Bubba. Bubba was kind of winning by three or four, and Casey was trying to run him down. And I think Spieth got involved and got close to it. And so I said something like. Um, Spieth uh, coming to uh, or he Spieth trying to run down Bubba with Paul Casey. Not the first time uh, America has come to Britain's aid to overthrow an evil dictator. And and, <laughs> and Spieth's mom retweeted it. Oh my god, that's hilarious! <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, does she does she understand what I'm trying to say here? I'm not sure she does, but <laughs> uh, but but you know what's so funny too is that. It, People, when they, you know, you've had these people, they complain that you're being mean to a player, or, or what do you know? Whatever negative feelings we have toward Bubba, don't come close to matching what actual PGA Tour players feel oh, yeah. about the guy. Oh, yeah. This is this is not some made-up narrative by journalists nope. or fans. This is like, we're just giving you a fraction of what the actual story is. And so, maybe Speed's mom didn't know, but I also wouldn't be surprised if she knew exactly what you meant, and had heard stuff from Speed or whoever, <laughs> uh, saying exactly what a jerk this guy is. I just, it just, Speed seems to be the best, like, possible PR machine, so you just pictured his whole family as the same way but i speed also retweeted me once when i had when i made a joke about uh jay haas had special rules for patrick reed for the president's cup that included uh like not referring to his biceps as the real nuclear arms and stuff like that (laughs) i was very surprised speed retweeted that one which (laughs) he has speed has got an impish quality to him and i think last year uh, when I covered him in 2014, he was just like the good boy through and through, and yeah. it was boring sometimes. Last year, I loved listening to him in press conferences. I thought he changed big time. Uh, perhaps it was winning the Masters that kind of freed him up a little there. I think as he gets older, we're going to start to see Speed less as like the perfect PR machine and more as like a really interesting dude who's pretty smart and also has a pretty decent sense of humor. At least I hope so. Yeah, and we're talking about you know, like appreciating honesty and whatnot. Like that's how you the way he does it is how you do it. Okay, I mean like, I know it's still PR. It's he airs more on the side of being uh, being a good PR guy than he than uh, than being overly honest or aggressive in the media, but the way he and Rory do it 
is the way it should be done as far as honesty. They're, they'll tell you how you feel, and they're not going to act like a whiny little baby up there for the most part. But back yeah. to um, – and Rory, and Rory, let's say Rory is the best. I mean, yeah. there's nobody better than Rory. Maybe Graham McDowell, but those two are yeah. the absolute best. But back to um, an example of that, though, is he said after after the Abu Dhabi Championship, he talked about how tired he was, and uh, and you and Alex talked about this as well about you know his schedule going forward. I, personally, uh, I I want to know what you think. I just think that's overblown. Um, because yeah, he he overscheduled himself kind of in this January February stretch overseas, and he admits that, but. I, just in a post-game press post-round press conference, he said, "I'm tired." That's really it. That's the that's the extent of the story for me. Twenty-two year olds, and I told this to Shane Bacon. Twenty-two year olds go home, they go to sleep, and then they're fine. Like I don't think he's burnt out or running risk of being burnt out at this point. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I think if there is any kind of burnout coming to him, it doesn't have anything to do with having played two tournaments in Asia in a row. Right. It's gonna have it's gonna have to do with dealing with everything that happened last year. Um, but I also I, he just seems like such a uh, I don't know, just like he seems pretty have everything pretty together, well settled. I can't think of the word I want, but yeah, I, I don't think I don't think being in Asia for two weeks, like you said, by the time he gets to Pebble Beach this week, he's going to be fully recovered. I would think. Yeah, I'm excited to see him and Day in the field this week. I think. Uh, it, I don't remember them being in the field last last year. They were. They both finished in the top ten, actually. But it's just funny how oh, wow. di- how different we look different we look at both of them now. And I looked it up. They were actually I, I, now I forget. But Spieth was ninth ranked player in the world at this point last year. Like it's easy to forget that. And Day was not. Uh, I think Day was even behind that. So it, it's funny to see. Like I think Henrik Stenson was the second ranked player in the world last year. And we almost right. barely hear his name on this side of the pond this time. Probably because of our own fault, but. Um, it's, it's but he's also, I mean, he's also on the downside of his career, a career that is starting to become more and more defined by never having won a major, despite being a really, really good player, right? So, but it's yeah. almost, it's almost like we that I agree, but we don't talk about him in the same way we do Sergio for never having won a true. major, you know? Very, yeah, very true, very true. And I think you know Phil and Tron from uh, from our, from No Lang Up there, uh, they've they've always made the point they think that Sergio gets an unfair treatment from from people here. In that you know he he's he's labeled as this guy that's never won a major when like guys like Kucher get praised and then they've never even sniffed a major. So I, I, to a, to a point, I agree with that. Um, I just yeah, I mean I, I don't think I've ever talked. This is the thirtieth podcast I've done. I don't think I've ever talked Henrik Stenson. I just don't think I I ever have. There's not really not much to talk about when it comes to him. Yeah, he's so interesting because he's he's a very funny guy. I mean, you, you've probably seen that. He's a very he's got a great wry Swedish sense of humor. Uh, Jonas Blix is the same exact thing, but he doesn't. He's also pretty private. You don't hear much about him. Uh, his private life or anything like that. Uh, he doesn't, other than the time he stripped down to his underwear, he doesn't do anything that crazy on the course. Um, he, does, he, doesn't, he does break clubs. He does break clubs, yeah, <laughs> which, I, which I always appreciate. Uh, but he doesn't, you know, Sergio Sergio's a head case, you know, so that's why he gets so much press. Um, but Stenson's more like, I mean, he's like Kucher with more personality, but that same kind of low-lying uh, type personality profile oh my god tron is gonna if tron listens this far into it he's gonna kill you for saying he's like kuchar because he's public enemy number one but uh, oh, I, I love i love stenson and kuchar to me is super boring okay. so don't okay. i'm not, I'm not comparing right. them as people just as they're sort of the attention they get as golfers all right you're safe you're safe uh, have you got a chance to or are you subscribed to pga tour live no, I haven't. Well, tell me the deal with it because it's. I know there there used to be featured groups. Can you actually watch coverage online now? Oh God, yeah. It's and I, I, it's five bucks a month. And honestly, you would think 
that I'm getting paid for the like for the things that I say about it. But it is <laughs> awesome. It, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, can you, we talked about this last on the podcast. Can you watch weekend rounds live? You can. Um, the before coverage comes on, they have feature hole coverage. And okay. actually, you know what? That I think throughout throughout the entire day on the weekends, they have feature hole coverage. So, like this past week, they had twelfth and sixteenth holes the entire weekend. You could watch every single shot. So, but not. But you is there also an option to watch the actual coverage of the event or no? Oh, I see what you're saying. No, there's not. As far but as on I know. Thir- but on Thursday and Friday, there is. is that no, the Thursday and Friday, like during the mornings, at least in the U.S. morning hours, they give you featured groups, and they also give you a feature group in the afternoon. And it's actually two groups. So there's six gotcha. players, okay. 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 six okay. guys yeah. that they follow. I could. You know, honestly, I can't remember if they do it in the afternoon as well. But maybe it's just the mornings. But there's six guys they follow for the entire 18 holes. So for someone like me, having Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka paired together, I got to watch every single one of their shots for an entire round. Uh, neither of them played that well, unfortunately. But I, that's exactly what we've uh, we've been clamoring for for so long. On, oh, it's great! It's on, fantastic. Yeah. On demand viewing of every single player is probably unrealistic, um, but this is as close as you can get, and it's phenomenal. The guys that run it, John Swantech does the play-by-play. He's awesome. Um, it's it's great. I I, I, I'm, I rip on a lot of things, so when I when I see something I like, I want to make sure I give it the proper credit, and I fully fully endorse subscribing uh, PGA Tour Live. Here's a here's a suggestion for PGA Tour. Here's something I would pay five ten dollars a month for. If you had those feature groups, if they had a video after the round, um, call it like, I don't know what you'd call it, like every shot or all 72 or something, where you can just watch a five-minute video of every single shot that Jordan Spieth took in the round. That European tour is already doing something like that. Do they have something like they that? Do. I, I've always thought that would be amazing. I would love to do that. I'd, I'd watch a Jordan Spieth round in five minutes. How great would that be? It's kind of like the condensed, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but the MLB.com has the same as condensed games. The next day you can watch 15-minute yeah. summary. It's actually yep. a really good, extensive summary of the game. It just plays, no announcers or anything. Um, and NBA League Pass is the same exact thing. And yeah. It's great. It's fant- it's, part- it's really one of the main reasons I ordered NBA League Pass this year, because they had that feature. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if the European Tour does that for every event, but I know they, I at least saw them advertising doing it once when Rory, like you'd see all 66 shots Rory hit or something for one round. So Yeah, that's uh, cool. Agreed. Cool. I'd like to see that come to the PGA Tour uh, as well, and there may be something like that in the works. But uh, I feel like, and you, it's a, a bad week for you to to have not gotten to see a lot. But what they did Wednesday too in the pro am with the waste management was it was phen- it was it was phenomenal. It was PGA Tour live again, but it was they had Go- GoPros strapped to the players and like live streaming from the GoPros. Whoa, that's uh, great! Interviews with the players up to the green, and it was honestly like uh, it felt like like a transition moment in golf like in coverage like it felt like golf was cool this is this was like i I know only the diehards were watching it but it it honestly felt transformative to me and i think the image that'll that'll stick with me the most i forget which day it was again but one of the days fowler got walked through the tunnel to to uh, maybe it was friday walked through the tunnel and as he's about to hit um you know waved his hands in the air and the crowd went absolutely nuts for him to hit and i just think like I don't know something like Phoenix is it's got to be copied at least in some way in other events like this because it, it, it's it's one of the best events of the year it really is. Yeah, it's true. They try something like it at the Byron Nelson. I think with them it's the seventeenth hole. Uh, uh, it's a par three, and they try to get that same atmosphere going. But it just everyone's a little too. Um, 
reserved, and I think there are like expensive seats and then cheap seats. So it's not this fully democratic, everybody's in the stands type deal like it is in Phoenix. Yeah. And it, does, it doesn't compare. But I, I agree. I think it's one of the coolest things that happens every year. I love that it's the kind of thing where they can scream and yell at Bubba. Uh, and I hope the PGA Tour kind of pulls back on watering it down. I hope they, I hope they keep that uh, spirit intact. Yep. All right, I got a couple more for you, and then we've got to hit the road here. But uh, Brett Coburn asked me this in a mailbag question. I haven't gotten to it yet. I still want to. I still need a mailbag. I need to finish. But who was the PGA Tour player that would look the worst in high tops and joggers? Mm, good question. Oh, Jim Furyk. I'll take that one. I was going to go with Phil. I think that would be hilarious. If Phil, <laughs> Phil would look like terrible. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, like any, anyone fat, let's, let's say that too. Anyone, anyone fat would not look good. I don't know if you saw Shane Bacon's mailbag from a couple weeks ago. That he, uh, someone asked him like, what, the, what the worst fashion combo would be, and it, would, it was Phil Mickelson wearing Rio Ishikawa's gear, and he photoshopped <laughs> Phil onto Rio's body. Oh, my God. It was, it was phenomenal. But, That's great. That's um, great. What is – I think the obvious reason I'm asking this is we're currently in my – favorite stretch but what's your favorite stretch of events or or courses necessarily on the pga tour so just PGA, so i can't say british open uh wgc pga championship right um per, no no okay. <laughs> well okay. exclude uh, the majors yeah 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 i think i think the obvious answer for me is uh when we do pebble beach and then riviera i think those two courses are, are both spectacular um that was some of the that was they were some of the first tournaments i covered in 2014 for the book uh, it's just, and they blew me away. I mean, it was, I, I got, to, this was right before the Florida swing. So I got a very wrong idea of what my year would be like uh, <laughs> after going through California. But I just think those two, those two courses are fantastic. And, uh, and you know, I, I enjoy, because for me as a Northeasterner, it's, it's so, it's such a novelty to be in the desert. So I think what I did, I think what I did that year was, um, yeah, it was Phoenix, Pebble, Riviera, and then, um, and then the match play, which was in uh, Tucson at that point, and is not anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think I would I would say these next three are my favorites on the PGA Tour. Along the same lines, will we or will we see you out on the PGA Tour this year covering events, or do you know what what you will be covering this year? Yeah, well, you know, I had this big idea to write a Ryder Cup book um, this year, and I think at what what I've heard is that John Feinstein is doing one. Um, and so I'm not interested in competing with like the biggest name in, in golf in golf book writing. So uh, I think you know I'm still writing for Golf Digest. Hopefully I'll get to go to a couple tournaments. I really want to go to the Ryder Cup to find a way to do that. Um, but beyond a couple majors in the Ryder Cup, I, I would say don't bet on it. Okay. Are you still learning French in anticipation of the 2018 Ryder Cup? I I, I have. Uh, What's the, what's the program called? Uh, oh, the Rosetta Stone. <laughs> if you have uh, to ask what it's called, you must not be practicing very hard. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. I did. I went to like the first, and I like doing it, but yeah, things just got in the way. Um, I'm actually going to Paris this, and and I'm taking a French trip this summer. So my idea was to learn it ahead of the ahead of that, but no, I'm not uh, not anymore. I, I've done very poorly. Well, you have to give me the dates for that, and uh, maybe I can jump a train. It's only about a three hour train ride down there. For me, oh so. yeah, of course, that'd be great. So uh, yeah, I. I I need a return trip to Paris. I went there for one weekend, but uh, I feel like I need more time there. It's all, have you been there before? Yeah, I have. Okay. But it was like in eighth, eighth grade. So, oh, I mean, it was, doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. I'm so excited to go back. Cool. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for the healthy uh, debate. Um, I'll let it, we'll take a couple months to let our friendship recover and uh, <laughs> uh, check back in. Uh, you guys can follow Shane on Twitter, at Shane Ryan here, and I do strongly suggest checking out his podcast. Stop yelling at me for not producing enough podcasts just go listen to his as well 
It'll help. It'll it'll help fill the void of my empty podcast schedule. So that's right. It will have you on soon, right? Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Great. Great. Thank you, sir. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect.